So, you know, it really begs the question, this whole idea of reclaiming Christmas, the biblical Christmas, this whole idea of um, pushing back against consumerism, pushing back against overspending, thinking differently. Remember we looked at last week, thinking differently how we might spend. Remember we said that we spend less unless spending more makes better sense. And so this whole idea of just trying to do things a little differently, is it really resonating with anyone? I mean, is it, is it, have you come to the place, and, and it, maybe it's just me because I'm working through this whole thing this year, I'm watching TV and I'm so tired of all of these commercials and these ad campaigns telling me what I desperately need to really make Christmas worthwhile this year. I mean, they, they, they tug on my heartstrings and really the message is, Man, you gotta, you gotta spend more. Because the more you spend, if you spend it at the right store, oh, the people in your life that you love will know that you love them even more. Because remember, every kiss begins with K. Right? And, and, and that commercial, I wanna reach through and grab the dude by the, th- because, because, right, okay, let me just get on a little tangent. So, there he is, he comes downstairs, the mom has the baby, okay? Young couple. Not too pretty, but not too ugly. And, and, so, and so they're sitting there, and, and he comes downstairs, and, and she's like, what are you doing up? It's 2 o'clock. He goes, it's 2 o'clock Christmas morning. And he plugs in the light, right? And the Christmas tree lights up, and he gives her this box, and he opens it up, and, and it's a watch. And she's like, oh. And in and, and the next scene, he's holding the baby, and he goes, do you think she'll remember this? And she goes, oh, I know I will you got to watch. Come on. I mean, what is so special about that? And so this whole thing about spending at the right stores. I'm even getting emails from Christian book distributors, CBD, and, and telling me about the hot Christmas specials I can get. You know, that just sounds wrong. I should not be getting hot Christmas specials from a Christian bookstore. It just sounds really weird to me. And, and so we're caught up in this whole idea of, of the holidays and, and, and what it should look like. And, and has anyone got to the end of this whole thing and just kind of felt a little empty, like, like something was missing, like, like we missed something. And, and, and you work through, and there's this, there's this emptiness hanging in the air. And, and, and amidst the food and the people and the fun and the gifts and the wrapping paper and the lights and the trees and the songs, you get to the end, and, and you hear this little whisper in your head that just goes, oh, and you missed it. You missed it. Man, you know what? This year, I don't want to miss it. I, I, I don't want to miss what God wants to do. I don't want to miss what we're really, really celebrating. And so some of us have entered an experiment. We've decided that we're going to focus on worshiping fully. Not just, not just church, but, but our lives would be an act of worship. And then we looked at last week this idea of, of spending less or spending differently. Now, this is not spending nothing. I know some of you dads in here, you've already threatened the whole, you know what Dennis said, we ain't getting nothing for Christmas here. Don't put your scrooginess on me. I said, I said spend less, not necessarily spend nothing. And now we're going to talk about, move into this idea about giving more. All right, Dennis, what is it? Either want us to spend less or do you want us to give more? And that's a great question. And the answer is yes. I want you to spend less. I do want you to give more. You know, there's something about certain gifts. 
that make them special. There's, there's something about a gift that you give, and it goes beyond a superficial level. It goes beyond the amount of money it costs. It goes beyond the store it was bought at. It goes beyond um, just, just all the superficial trappings that we get caught in. Every once in a while, you get that gift that, that just resonates with you, and it, and, it's a, and it seems to be a special gift, and you hold on to it for years down the road. It just feels right, like that new Lexus that was in the driveway last year. You, you know, and you're just like, whoa, no, I'm only kidding. But, but, for, but for most of us, those gifts, those really special gifts are relational gifts. They're gifts that somebody took the time to hear you and to know you and to understand you, and, and from that relationship, they They've given you something, something that represents that relationship that that the two of you have together. They've given you a gift. And I would argue that those gifts are not only the best gifts to give, but they're the best gifts to receive. For me, that's why I keep, I try to keep all of my Father's Day gifts that the kids give me, all of the all of the birthday cards that I get, those, those homemade things that they make in school where they take their little picture and they take some paper and they cut it out and they glue and string and the little things and they're like, happy Father's Day, you know? And it's just like, oh, because those, those are the things that, that celebrate our relationship. Let me, let me show you something. Megan made me this in fifth grade. Sculpt, yeah, right? Sculpting class, right? Here, I'm not quite sure what way it goes. This way, I think, Maybe. But she said, Dad, it's you praying. <clears throat> right? Uh, and so these are the gifts that... Me, this will never be in the Smithsonian, I bet you. And as far as retail value, nothing. But this gift, I cannot put monetary value on. That gift celebrates the relationship I have with my kids, celebrates the relationship that I have with my family. It was given, she thought about me praying, and cre- or it just looked like that, and she said, I got to think of something to do with this. I don't know what one is. But, but she thought, at least she came up with it at the end, right? And she thought about our relationship. And so when I look back at those gifts, you know, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me, especially when, when, when it's their picture. I have pictures of Megan when she was like in first grade, and she made Christmas ornaments, and we still have those things. And, and I'm reminded that, you know what? We don't have all the time in the world. Time, time is short, and, and we're, we're to love our family. When I look back at those gifts, I'm reminded of that. I'm reminded about this idea to, to cherish my children and to cherish my wife. And what does that look like in everyday life? What does that look like when it hits the fan and, you know, and life is just going down the toilet? What's it look like to still hold on to that? Those are what those, those gifts remind me of. It reminds me that I'm, to, I'm called as the father and the husband to love my wife, love my children, as Christ loves the church. All of that from a glue stick, from paper and string. Some gifts are just really, really special. And so as we move through this time of year of Advent and Christmas, um, and we celebrate the birth of Jesus, I think that we've, we've forgotten or lost track of a very simple yet very profound truth. That God the Father gave us Jesus because he loves us. Period. God has given us Jesus because he loves us, because he desires a relationship with us. In fact, he desires a better relationship with us. 
God sees all the problems in the world. He sees all the problems in our life. He sees all the brokenness that we carry. And his solution to that is not a a, a new car. His solution to that is not new clothes, a new watch. It's not a new computer. It's not a new phone. His solution to the brokenness is a gift, but it's not a gift of stuff. His solution is to give the gift of himself. That God so loved the world, he gave himself to the world as the ultimate gift. And that truth, and that truth alone, is why gift giving is still a really good idea to celebrate Christmas. To give gifts is still a really good idea to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But God's example gives us the opportunity now to to give in, in different ways to give in ways that can stand outside of consumerism, that can stand outside of, of debt, to, give, to giving that stands outside of just trying to, to stay up with the Joneses and, and maintain a status. We no longer have to equate money and love in the same sentence. God's example allows us to give in a very different way. You know, if you asked anybody in here, I bet you they would say, you know, I don't, money and love, they don't, they're not, you know, it doesn't, how much I spend doesn't really show how much I love. Nobody would say that that's the truth, but our actions many times tell a different story. Our thought process many times tells a different story. And and, And in a small way, our giving can reflect the power and the beauty of God giving himself to this world that he came into this world as one of us to live among us. The word incarnation is nowhere to be found in the Bible. But all through the biblical story, we can see the idea of Jesus, the son of God, coming into his creation as fully human and still fully God. This is the incarnation. That God came down into the world to live as a fully human being, but still maintaining fully God. That is the mystery that is upon us. And it's much more than just some historical fact. It's much more than just the search for the historical Jesus. This truth of Jesus being God is a fundamental, foundational truth for Christians around the world. It unites Protestants and Catholics and Methodists and Lutherans and Episcopalians. It unites us all together because we all believe that Jesus is God. Turn to John chapter 1. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. Does anybody need one? Everybody good? John chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not 
overcome it. Jesus has created everything. Jesus has created planets, the earth. Jesus has created universes, galaxies. Jesus has created us. Jesus has created plant, animal, mineral. Anything that's been created has not been created outside of Jesus. He has handled it all. And for us, even for us as this, this church, this body, we've been working through the gospel of Matthew or uh, John for over six months now. And we read that verse, those verses six months ago. And I think in our Christian context, those, ver- those words become very familiar to us. We hear them over and over again. In the beginning was the word, and the word became... Blah, 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 blah. And we, we just, many of us can just regurgitate those chapter and verse like it was nothing. But, but being so familiar with those words is dangerous. And the danger is that they can lose their power. They can lose their intensity. They can just become words that we read over and over again and not really think about what they say. They are very clear in what those, those, those five verses say. Jesus was not some, some good rabbi, a good teacher. He was not some moral guy. He was not a, just a friend of sinners, some guy that came around and liked to eat, drink, and be merry and got, got, got picked on because he was a glutton, he was a drunkard. No, no, no. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. This is the truth that those words reflect. And now look what it says in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, God, moves into our neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson would say in the message. Jesus has come to where we are. He set up shop. He didn't require us to move. He came to where we are. Jesus is the best understanding we have of God who God is, what God is like. In fact, he would say himself that he and the Father are one. God has become tangible. God has become approachable, though nowhere completely. Now God, through Jesus, has become somewhat understandable to us, to to we humans. And he's done this by giving the ultimate gift, the gift of himself. God gave himself. He became one of us. And and through that mystery of the incarnation, now he's able to reconcile the world back to him. Able to restore all of the brokenness. And so this gift of, we'll call it the incarnation, God fully human in Jesus, yet Jesus still being fully God. This has opened up... all kinds of new dimensions of God for us. It's opened up this idea, the dimension of of his presence, that Jesus became, God became fully present through Jesus. Jesus just doesn't represent God. Jesus is God. He's become fully present to his creation. It's opened up this dimension of proximity, or as Alan Hirsch would say, Alan Hirsch would call it proximity, but but we can call it proximity. God has become very personal to us. God has approached us, approached us. God has approached us in a certain way that we can understand and we can access him. That that through Jesus, yes, he has called us to a place of repentance, but Jesus did not come just to point the finger at all of you. Jesus came to do life with us. 
Jesus came to come alongside the outcast and the brokenhearted and to speak into their lives and to offer them healing and offer them a new way. Jesus became, God became very personal through Jesus out of, out of a place of, of love. Do you get it? Not because you're all messed up and broken. I got to do something before you hang yourself. God loves us. And also opens up the dimension of this idea of, of, of powerlessness. God did not come with a show of force. God came as a humble child and a servant, a servant to all. He would, he would shun the normal ideas of, of coercive power. And he had every right to come down and thump, but he chose not to. He chose to come from a place of humility and he chose to come from a place of love. And he said, these are, this is the very nature of who God is. And that love and that humility has shown us that those two things can still change this world for the better. It's the incarnation that we celebrate every Sunday morning here. The incarnation is what we'll celebrate when we take communion this morning. It's the incarnation that we can go and share to a world that is in desperate need of some good news right now. And if we can learn to give the way God gave in Jesus, if we can learn um, to give in this way, then the imprint that we can make in the lives of the people around us would last much, much longer than just something you bought online at Amazon.com. The incarnation is God's way of interacting with the world, the way that he gave himself, the way that he gifted those he loved. And think about it if we gave that same way, gave of ourselves. Can Christmas still change the world? God gave us his presence. And in the book of Isaiah, the prophet writes that you're going to call this dude Emmanuel and it's God with us. And I wonder if we've really allowed that idea to soak into our brains. God with us. God with us. God is with us. He's going to come. God is going to be with us. Emmanuel. Is it really possible to take this idea seriously? And, and could our gift giving be more focused on the presence of God than just presence from Sears? Can our gift-giving focus on our presence in the lives of people and not just sending them something that you can even get a gift wrap now on Amazon? Click, click, click. You never have to touch nothing except the credit card statement at the end of the month. But, hey, we can get over that, right? Can we give in that way? Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so now God has a voice and God has a face and God has legs that walked with people and God has arms that, that, that hugged on people and God liked to travel with people and laugh and joke. God gave us the gift of his presence. God has given us the gift of relationship. Now in this day and age, we have, we have morphed technology into our relationships, right? We, we Facebook, 
We have cell phones. We have email. We have texting. Anybody here Twitter? No one? Good. So I was going to have to come boop you in the eye in the name of Jesus. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I want to be your friend. No. And we have all of these things, all of this technology, these social networks that, that, that we can do relationships with. And there's a lot of value to those things. Remember, remember, you older people like my age, remember when you had to send somebody a message, you had to write something down on paper? Remember that? And then you had to find the envelope. And you never had an envelope in your house. And so you had to go to the store, and when you got home, and you, and you would lick the envelope, and you had to actually fold it and put it in. And then you didn't have a stamp. You're like, ugh. And then you had to write where it had to go. And two or three days later, they received said letter. Remember those days? So there is benefit to type, 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 click, and it's there. I I get that. But nothing can replace one-on-one interaction. Nothing will ever replace face-to-face conversation and and face-to-face relationship. You know, what's, what's interesting is Jesus, for 30 years, he lived in a, in a certain community, in a certain town, in a certain neighborhood, before anybody really knew who he was. He didn't come out of the box like, you know, three years old, raised from the dead. You know, he was, he was living among people in relationship. In fact, later on, that would become a stumbling block to some people. They'd be like, isn't this Jesus, the dude we hung, we were drinking beer with behind the stable? You know, I mean, maybe he didn't, but, but <laughs> I'm not a heretic, okay? But they knew him. He was in relationship with them. This was who God was. One of us common people, our presence in the lives of people is the message. We cannot take ourselves out of the equation of a relational gift, the gift of ourselves. Turn to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read in verse 11. This is the Christmas story. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is what the angels proclaim. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Savior. And this Savior has come to save me from my junk. The Savior has come to save me from my sin, from, save me from my shortcomings. He has come to save me from my mistakes. He has come to save me from myself. And this same Savior has come to save all of us. Jesus is given a very personal gift to each one of us, able to speak personally, deeply, and intimately into each one of our lives. Not just some big blanket, you're all set, have a nice day. But each one of us, intimately, he wants to be involved. Jesus was a very relational type of guy. He enjoyed, he actually enjoyed being with people, talking with them, hanging out with them. He genuinely liked them, even though they were broken and messed up and selfish. And he's God, and they're obviously not. Jesus liked to be with us. Did you know that that God actually likes 
each one of you. It's not like he has to love you because he created you. God actually likes you. And this was, this was what Jesus came to share. And, he, and because of that love, because of that um, desire to be with people, he would work on those relationships. He would pour into the lives of other people. He would pour in his own life to these people. And he would teach them and he would minister them and he would heal them and he would be doing miracles. And sometimes he would just get so tired at the end of it all, he would have to find some time just to get away and chill out for a while. Sometimes. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark where, where the boys come back and, and they're all, they did this ministry thing. And Jesus is like, you know, let's go get a bite to eat. You know, let's just chill out. And so they get into the boat and they start to sail away. But the crowd, they see Jesus in the boat, right? And they're like, we got to get to where he's going. So they run on the shore. They're, they're in the boat rowing. They run. They get there before Jesus and the boys get there. And Jesus gets off the boat and he just wants, he just wants some downtime. He just wants to grab a bite to eat. And the story says that he looked upon the crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And it says that he taught them many things. Jesus cared for people both on a a large level and individually. He, He had compassion on them. He paid attention to them. He listened to them. He noticed things. Jesus would do all the things and continues to do all the things that most people in our hurried culture just look past and don't ever engage in. You know, we all have received gifts that were less than personal. That, that, that gift that you, that you just know was kind of an afterthought, but, you know, they gave you a gift anyway, and you smile, and you say thank you, and, and most of us will leave it in the original wrapper because you never know what it's going to come in good for, you know, later on down the road, and, and you put that, put that thing away, right? And, and, and maybe, maybe you're even going to re-gift it. Has anybody ever re-gifted to, like, the same person you got the gift from? Anybody? No? Don't ever do that. That's not good. It's not. I'm your pastor. I know these things, okay? So, but here's the thing. Not only have we received those gifts, come on, man, let's be honest. We've given them. We've, we've given, you know, that, that gift, that disposable generic gift. We say, well, you know, it's the thought that counts. Well, sometimes the thought is, man, I haven't thought about you in a long time, and I just kind of feel obligated to give you something. So here's what I got last year. <laughs> Listen, that, that attitude doesn't bring anyone closer to Jesus. That, that brings us nowhere closer to celebrating who Jesus really is. Personal is about being directly involved in the lives of the people that we're around, our friends, our family, even our coworkers. Can Christmas be more about the incarnation of Jesus than just giving presents and gifts? Are we generally wholeheartedly available people. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is always that book that eludes me. I think my pages stick together. There it is. Philippians 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 6, and they're talking about in this text, Jesus. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The gift of God to us actually did cost him something. It came with a very, very steep price that can never be measured in money. It can never be measured in gold. It can never be measured in stocks or bonds. Jesus, God, made himself nothing. A literal translation of that is he emptied himself of all of the, of the God stuff that he had, but yet he kept hold of all the God stuff that he had because he was fully human and fully man. And somehow that mystery just confuses me. But Jesus came in all humility, not forceful, not some big wig king saying, you got to. He came in humility. And this truth should cause us to go to our, the people in our lives, our friends, our family, our coworkers, in all humility as a servant. He would empty himself of everything. And then he would allow himself to be nailed to a cross. Those very arms for those years that would hug and hold and carry and, and he would lay hands on would ultimately be stretched out on a cross and nailed there because of his love for us. God's gift cost him everything. God's gift costs him everything. And so what does that mean for us as we celebrate Christmas this year? What does that mean for us as we move through the Advent season? Relational, personal giving is going to cost us something. It's not just an easy way out. It will cost us something. It will cost us time. It will cost us energy. It will cost us commitment. Yes, it may even cost us money. It's not going to cost us what it cost God, but there is a cost to it. Believe me, it's much easier to shop online than to, to uh, embrace this idea of giving ourselves personal relational gifts to people. And re- this idea of, of relational giving, it, it can be very risky. What if, what if they don't like what you gave them? Okay, homemade statue of somebody kneeling and praying. New iPod. I'm going iPod, you know, let's keep it real, right? What if, what if they don't like it? What if, they, what if they have no understanding of what you're trying to do? What if they don't get how much love and effort you poured into that? It's risky business to give in this way. Jesus gave everything. And he knew that people were not going to understand it. Jesus ultimately gave his life. And he knew that people were going to reject it. But he gave it anyway. See, this idea about giving more, it's not about you. It's not about you trying to gain acceptance or some status in somebody's life. It's about the person that you're giving it to. And, and gifts given, relational gifts given in humility are a reflection of God's grace, not only in your life, but in hopes of the lives that you're, you're giving the gifts to these people to, that they would experience God's grace. So can we resist the easy way out this Christmas? Can we, can we live the truth that money does not necessarily equal how much we love someone? 
Can we give ourselves to others instead of just some, some presence? And you know, giving ourselves, it may cost you money. Remember, we spend less unless spending more makes better sense. I'll give you an example. Um, we've decided what we're going to give my mom for Christmas, and she doesn't listen to this online, so I can tell you. Uh, we're making a coupon book for her. And in that coupon book, every month, we want to take her out to lunch, and we want to have her over our house for dinner. That's 12 lunches and 12 dinners. That's going to cost more than click, click, click. Here, mom, here's a nice whatever. But we want to give her the, the gift of our time. We want to give to her the gift of, of our relationship as a family. I want to celebrate that because you know what? We don't have all the time in the world. And that's the way we want to celebrate with her. See, we, we will spend more because spending less just didn't make sense in this, this situation. Relational gifts reflect God's gift of Jesus to the world. And isn't it Jesus that we're celebrating this Christmas? As we celebrate communion this morning, that is the example, the, 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 the symbol of what God has given to us, that he so loved the world that he would give Jesus, that all would believe in him, should not perish, but, but live eternally, have everlasting life. And, and, as, and as we move through communion together, um, I would encourage you to just, just let that truth sink in. You know, just let the, let the fact that God has given you himself, you, each one of us, personally given himself to each one of you. And what do you do with that? You just shrug it off and you walk out these doors and, and you just go back to just status quo the way it is? Or what, do you, what do you do with that? What's God want you to do with that? And so the, the elements are in the back there. You take them um, as, as uh, you know, you get up and take them and we'll, and we'll eat them and drink them together as a community. So I would encourage you to begin that dialogue with, with, with God and then just, and also just think how much you really loved.